let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, on Sundays like this, I often feel like my sermon is going to, uh, well, you know, I'm going to move from preaching to meddling. You know what I mean? So hang with me. I hope I don't meddle too much. I want, you know, they, they say also sometimes our preaching afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted. So I'm hoping I'm going to do all that. I hope I don't meddle too much. Don't run screaming from the room. Okay. Freedom is an interesting word, isn't it? And it's a word we will celebrate this weekend. But a word I think we often struggle to live for ourselves, for one another, with one another. Sadly, too often I believe that freedom is viewed as a limited resource, as in, if you have more freedom, I will have less. Instead of being viewed as an abundant asset, the freer you are, the freer we will all be, right? The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said, no one is free until we all are free. And that freedom word is captured in this idea of independence, a concept that became a reality 246 years ago tomorrow. Well, actually, historically, Truth be told, they signed it all on July the 2nd, so 246 years ago yesterday. But they settled on July 4th as the day to celebrate independence. On that day in 1776, the members of the Continental Congress adopted a statement that declared that the 13 American colonies were independent states and no longer regarded themselves as part of the British Empire. Britain at that time was a country deep in debt due to wars that they had fought. And um, they pursued an idea to extract soft money from their colonies. And its king, King George III, lacked the wisdom to gain his subjects' loyalty and seek a compromise. What emerged from all of that was a new philosophy and a new country. That sovereignty lay not just in power and historic authority, but in something called natural rights, which means that all people being equal could claim that natural right that belonged to them and which no one could take away from them. Good idea. As you know, the inalienable rights that were listed in the Declaration of Independence were life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It wasn't a perfect country that was formed, and, but it was formed in this philosophy and, and in this dream. And all these ideas, you know, 
came together in the idea of independence. For those who signed the Declaration of Independence, the word meant we were free. We had the freedom to decide for ourselves how we would govern, how we would be governed. We were free. Of course, we know the truth. Not all people were free. Not our African siblings. Not indigenous people. Although all the Europeans were immigrants, not all immigrants. And not women. But independence has come to mean even more than what it did then. For some people, most people today, I think, in our country, independence has come to mean that we believe in the right to have an individual conscience in all matters, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But then it morphs into we believe that all good and worthwhile things in life come, comes from the honest efforts of a person to make their own life. In other words, pull yourself up from your bootstraps. So today, we have to ask ourselves, what is the relationship between the idea of independence, particularly as we have focused more and more on individual independence, apart from community, and the Christian gospel? Given that the word independence does not appear in the Bible, do we proudly assume independence is something God takes pleasure in? And is it legitimate and reasonable to argue that personal independence is what Christianity is all about? We have elevated independence not just to a level of virtue, but to a level of being the only virtue that really matters. And that's what we're experiencing today. That's why we're having much of the political strife that we're having, because people hold different views and different values, but we all have come to think of our own individual right as standing as the most important thing. In the hands of Thomas Jefferson, independence was the right not to be indentured to a foreign government. But by the time we get to today, independence has become the right to have no regard for the well-being of anyone but oneself. And that's where we have moved away from the idea that we are bound as people of faith to seek the common good. Now, add all of that together with this thought. According to a LifeWay research in a recent survey of 1,000 pastors nationwide, 53% of the pastors agreed that their congregation sometimes seems to love America more than God. The first Monday after 9-11, I was pastoring at Friends Congregational Church, UCC, and College Station. And our Bryan College Station Eagle, the local newspaper, on that Monday after the first Sunday after 9-11, ran a picture, full color, almost the whole above the fold. Color, huge 
color picture of a clergy and their choir processing into the sanctuary of a local United Methodist Church, we'll not say their name, all carrying American flags. I was shocked, because I had come from a tradition where you didn't, I mean, you didn't bring the flag into the sanctuary. Here's where the idolatry of nationalism begins to take root. When we think America is somehow God's favorite nation, as if God has granted the United States of America the most favored nation status, we begin to be more a nation of nationalists rather than patriots. Under the sway of nationalism, we give into thoughts like, my country right or wrong, my country is far superior to those poor third world countries. God has blessed my nation so we can help the rest of the world figure out to do what is right. I know you haven't ever heard any of that. <laughs> when we convince ourselves that America is at the center of God's activity, we lose sight of God, of following in the way of Jesus, in being open to the Holy Spirit. So we need this balancing, right? Okay, so you're wondering when I'm going to talk about Galatians. Well, right now, okay? <laughs> so I'm going to talk about Galatians because I think Paul has something, I know you would find this odd, but I, I actually think Paul has something to say, not only to the Galatians, but to us. So in verse 2, Paul writes this. After talking about how if somebody strays, you should be gentle with them and loving, right? Paul writes this in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. But only a moment later, in verse 5, Paul states, all must carry their own loads. Now, which is it, Paul? What are we doing here? Are we supposed to bear one another's burdens, or are we supposed to carry our own loads? What is the deal? I love that. And one of the reasons I love the Apostle Paul is because you always have to wrestle with him. You know? So let's start with all must carry their own loads. You probably heard that when, that when the time for a baby eagle to fly comes, that the mother pushes the baby out of the nest. Well, that's not actually really what happens. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But what really happens is that the baby watches the parents and then begins to hop around and, and they, they do their wings and gain strength in their wings. And then at some point they hop to the edge of the nest and then they hop, it's more hopping than flying, but they hop to branches. It's called branching, actually, for, for baby eagles. And then finally they're able to fly a little bit, so they fly away from home and get food, and then they, but they come back to the nest for quite a while before they become independent and can survive on their own. Sounds a lot like humans, doesn't it? Right? Sounds a lot like humans. So Paul states that we must learn to carry our own loads, and that is the truth of life, right? We must live our own lives. We have to be people of independence, just as young little baby eagles have to learn how to be independent and on their own. But Paul then takes the, the instruction a step further. Now, back to verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. 
In the worst circumstances the world sometimes offers us, we often see that people are good, and they show up when others are in need. Think of the big hurricanes that have hit the Gulf Coast. Think of um, circumstances where people have stepped in and helped people who fell into the ice, or even a puppy or dog that had fought, wandered out and, you know, is near death. I mean, people will go to great extremes, oftentimes putting themselves at risk for someone in need. What we tend to forget is that when Paul uses this phrase, he is talking about when one person has let their own fragility, their own foolishness or selfishness damage others so that other people find themselves bearing the crisis they did not create. And that's such an isolating moment, isn't it? It's hard enough to face that you have acted in a way that has hurt others. And it takes a very remarkable person to say, I didn't cause this trouble, but I'm going to carry it as if I had. I'm going to bear the burden with this friend of mine who got us into this mess. And I'm going to take the lead in helping to see if we can get to a better place. And you know, that sentiment happens with organizations and with governments and with the people of governments who say, you know, I didn't create this mess, but I, by golly, am going to do everything I can do to set it right. So we talk often about reparations for uh, African-American people. And, you know, there are churches and organizations who have said, we didn't create this. Our ancestors created all this problem. But, you know, we're going to act in ways to set it right. And that's what it means. It means sometimes putting your own self at risk in order to help things be set right in the world. It means that we give to people who are most in need. And Paul wants us to be like that kind of people. It means that we move from individual independence to communal dependence, relying on each other. So there's this balance between independence and dependence that exists for us as people of faith. If we're going to take the name Christian, then this is where we land, okay? So we carry each other's burdens, and Paul calls this kind of living the law of Christ, which, by the way, means the law of love. For many of us, we're so deeply shaped by the language of independence that our deepest fear as we grow old is of becoming a burden to our children, right? You have, well, my parents were like that. You know, after the three daughters had moved away, we were independent on our own, taking care of our own lives. My parents, as they grew older, like all parents do, would become ill or need surgery for different things, and they wouldn't tell us. <laughs> and oh, I got in a knot about that. <laughs> and so one day, I just sat down with them at the kitchen table, and I said, you have to stop this. You have to call us when you are having surgery. You've got to tell us when you're sick. 
well, we don't want to be a burden. Burden me. Come on, burden me. I, I want to, you are depriving me of my right to pray for you at a minimum. You are depriving me of my right to be in relationship with you, to be family with you. Well, you know, it sometimes can be a burden. It's hard. Like my vet told me, our little Moses, he's like 100 years older than God. <laughs> our, little, our little cocker spaniel. And she said, you know, our role is to care for them, you know, to make sure they're comfortable. And when they're not comfortable, to come and let them pass peacefully into a new life. Well, I mean, that's true for all of us, right? All of us. Finally, um, according to Paul, it seems that there's nothing wrong with being a burden. It's no bad thing to be dependent. To be in dependence creates relationships. To be in dependence with others creates community. And if we're going to be committed to bearing one another's burdens, we must be prepared to let other people bear ours. The question then is, when we've acquired our hard-won independence, what do we do with it? This seems to be the point in which Paul's two teachings come together. We carry our own loads and become independent for one reason, a purpose above all others, so that we can bear one another's burdens, so that we can be together as people of faith, as people of community, as families to each other. We become independent in order that when we love, it may genuinely be out of care for other people rather than to look good to feel important. In the end, end, independence leaves us alone in the world. It can't give us the relationships that truly enrich and shape and transform our lives. But being in dependence builds relationships and builds community that sustains us. So I don't say we throw out independence. We, We need independence. And we should celebrate it greatly this this weekend even though our our country seems so fragile right now and so so at odds with each other we still can celebrate the the ideas which formed our country interestingly today's gospel reading which we did not hear is about Luke sending the disciples out to proclaim that the realm of God has come near And it reads like this. Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure all diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Jesus said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. I've always thought that just sounded so difficult. Why would he say that? So let me point out the obvious here. Left to our own devices, we will likely choose comfort and convenience all the time. Whatever is easiest, quickest, I mean, you know, click, Amazon, (laughs) click to have food delivered, 
You know, I mean, you know, we, we take the convenient way, right? Well, my ministry colleague, Vince Amlin, points out that Oliver Bruchman, in his book, 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals, says that kind of convenience is a trap. Smoothness, he writes, is a dubious virtue, since it's often the unsmoothed textures of life that make it livable. Left to our own devices, excuse me, left to their own devices, Jesus knew the disciples would stay in, order room service, <laughs> and not even leave to share the good news. They'd be tempted with comfort and convenience. But the gospel requires inconvenience. And that is what Paul is trying to get the people of Galatia and us to understand. Amlin writes this, I love it, interaction, people being thrown together with their demons and their diseases, their hunger and their dirty laundry. It thrives on laughter and embarrassment and mutual recognition. So Jesus sends them out with nothing knowing that the less smooth their journey is, the more livable the world would become. In other words, while I'm sure Jesus would have us welcome our independence, just as Jesus and his people, the Jews of Israel, wanted independence from Rome, and Jesus wanted us to have independence from all empires and powers and principalities so that we could more fully encounter God and each other, Jesus also calls us into dependence so that we can discover that we need each other. We need community. We need to be hashtag better together, right? <laughs> this is the blessing of Paul's teaching today, but it comes with a caution. Did you hear it? You will reap what you sow. You will harvest what you plant. Do you hear that? Well, anybody who does any kind of gardening vegetable gardening, floral gardening, anybody who loves plants and tries to make them grow. <sighs> and in this weather, <laughs> who you know that gardening is not easy. You have to plant, you have to watch, you have to water, you have to make sure they have a lot of sun, but not too much sun. I mean, they're, they're, you have to feed them. And there's so much you have to do for the garden to thrive and grow. And we are the garden, God's garden. And, you know, we are going to have to work at this. We're going to have to work at healthy independence that's patriotic. And we're going to have to work at community and independence so that we can have community. We can build a better world. If all we sow is hardline independence, particularly individual in independence with people who look, think, and believe the way we do, we will reap loneliness. But if we balance our independence with living independence, we will reap community, fellowship, love, gentleness, hope, and grace abundant. So let's celebrate Independence Day Today, right after church, come to our house. We're going to have brats and burgers. It's not burgers and brats. It's burgers and brats. We're going to have those. 
Carrie Johnson told us last night she was sure that it said burgers and brats. And then she looked at Pam and said, we don't have brats in our church anymore. <laughs> so the good news of the gospel is this, that God is never independent of us. You see, God met us precisely in the most independent forms that of a tiny baby and a naked man dying on a cross. That's love. And that's what Paul calls the law of Christ. In the weeks ahead, I hope we will learn how we can become more independent as a faith community as we discover outreach and mission opportunities that can make a difference in our world and in the lives of others who need us and from whom we need to learn. And when we learn this truth, and when we live this truth, we become people who are alive. We become alive. We become the church alive. Thanks be to God. Amen.